Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I'll say too, it's glad to see everybody sitting where you belong. It's good that the planets have realigned. Everybody's back where you're supposed to be. Something reassuring about that. I don't know. The last week I challenged you to sit somewhere new. And to be quite honest, I was amazed at how many people took the challenge. Almost everybody sat somewhere new. In fact, the people that didn't really had a pretty good reason not to. People told me beforehand, said, nobody's going to move. And almost everybody moved. And I think that says something about us. I don't know what it is. But I think that says something about us. And I think it's something kind of neat and something kind of uh, positive. But I, I appreciate that. What else says something about us is uh, $23,000. The fact that you all showed the, the heart of Jesus. You were challenged to, to help put Bibles in the hands of people that, that don't have a Bible. And I wish I had a big enough imagination to, to imagine what God's going to do with that offering. And uh, He's going to do something exciting, I know. And for us to have a real small part of it uh, is a blessing to us as well. You see, the title of my lesson this morning is Now for Some Really Good News. Today I want to share with you some really good news. And I want to do it uh, by starting with uh, the concept of the teeter-totter. How many of you recognize the teeter-totter? You used to call them seesaws back in the day. Yeah. You know, back when I was in uh, elementary school, back at uh, Pinrun Elementary School, circa 1968, we had teeter-totters. And they were huge. Now, that's not a picture of my era, exactly. But I was trying to find a picture of a, a teeter-totter, a seesaw that was as big as they were on the Pinrun Elementary School playground. That's the only one I could find that was really big enough. Because everything on the Pinrun Elementary School playground was huge. The slide was like three stories tall. The monkey bars were 20 feet off the ground. The swings had 30-foot chains. You know, you'd jump off and you'd launch yourself across the playground. Well, here goes John. Everything was big. It was kind of before parents cared if their kids got hurt or not. So everything was big. And the teeter-totters were huge. I mean, when you were up, you were way up. And maybe it's just because I was so small. <laughs> but everything seemed so big. And of course, seesaws, teeter-totters, they're only good for two things, really. Cherry bumps and cherry bombs. At least that's what we called them in western Pennsylvania. Now, the cherry bump is when you were in mid-teeter, or mid-totter, it didn't matter, but you gave a quick jolt on the handle, and the person at the other end got a little jolt. That's a cherry bump. Cherry bumps were good. Cherry bombs were great. Cherry bombs is when you had yourself all the way sitting on the ground, and instead of easily pushing back up, you just rolled off. <laughs> and that poor sucker at the top comes crashing to the ground. Don't, don't give me that look, Jeannie Thomas. You know you've done this. We've all been there. We've all done that, right? Seesaws, teeter-totters, kind of a balancing thing. This morning, I, I want to use that image as we look at uh, our text this morning. You know, every now and then, I try to preach what we practice. When people say, you need to practice what you preach. Well, every now and then, we need to preach about what we practice, talk about things that we do. 
and why we do them. So today I'm going to preach about some of the things that we practice. And I'm kind of crafting it around the, the greatest question that anyone will ever ask. A question that probably most of you have asked at one point or another in your life, and that is, what do I do to inherit eternal life? You know, if, if we're being faithful to the Great Commission, if we're making disciples of Jesus, if we're telling people, introducing people to Jesus, people are going to ask that question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Now, they won't put it quite in those terms today. Now, they'll ask the question, how do I get to heaven? When I put my head on my pillow, how can I, how can I be sure about my salvation? It's a, it's a great question. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. With the image of the teeter-totter in mind, we're going to walk through a couple verses in Romans chapter 6, as well as some other places in Scripture. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is sort of writing in teeter-totter style. And he's talking about the relationship between sin and, and grace. Sin is when we refuse to do what God has called us to do, or when we purposefully do something that's unhealthy or unholy. Grace is the unmerited favor given to us by God. Now in the Old Testament, we read about all kind of things that people would do in order to, to kind of work their way out of sin. How can I make it right? How can I fix the problem? You, know, you think about that's kind of a human response, isn't it? You do something that you know uh, is offensive to your spouse, and the first thing you say is, well, how can I make it up to you? How can I fix it? How can I make it right? And what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 6 is, when it comes to sin, you can't fix it. By yourself, you can't make it up to God. You, by yourself, you can't make it right. And he sort of paints this picture of, of one side of the teeter-totter being sin. Ugly. Dark. The very thing that separates us from God. And the other side of the teeter-totter being grace. This wonderful gift from God. And the fact that there's nothing that we can do to, to fix our sin problem. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So we don't have to try to pay for it or, or pay back what God's done for us. One side of the teeter-totter says, sin is terrible. And the other side says, but grace is wonderful. And what Paul is recognizing is there's some people there in Rome who are kind of jumping off the teeter-totter on one side and saying, okay, you know what, if grace is so great... I'm just going to be all about grace. Listen to what he writes. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should my response be, since grace is so wonderful, I'll jump off. And I'll just do whatever I want to do. I'll live however I want to live. I'll treat people however I want to treat people because i got to get out of jail card free in my back pocket called grace. And I don't have to change anything about the life that I'm living. Is that what you're saying, Paul? Notice Paul's response. Well, if a little bit of grace is good, isn't a whole lot of grace better? Should we go on sinning that grace may increase? And Paul says, by no means. An older version says, God forbid. A newer version says, Absolutely not. Keith Stefanko would say, dude, really? Come on. God forbid. 
We can't live in sin any longer. That's what Paul says. Take a look at the rest of the, the passage. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I told you I, I titled this lesson and now for some really good news. Here's the really good news. Salvation comes to us grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And that saving grace is seen in repentance. Confession is Jesus is Lord. Baptism. If you are a Christian, you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other option. We are saved by grace through faith. That's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. With that grace through faith comes choices. Why? Why did God give us choice? Why did God give us free will? Because God knows that without choice, we can't really love. And by giving us free choice, by giving us free will, we have the ability to love. And by giving us free choice, we also have the ability to sin. Back up a little bit in, in the book of Ephesians. Back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 says, All of us who lived among them at one time gratified the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul says that's who we were. That's how we lived. Notice, Paul does not say, you weren't doing so well in your transgression and sin. He doesn't say, you were kind of sick in your transgression and sin. He doesn't say, you weren't really all you could be in your transgression and sins. Paul says, you were dead. You were completely cut off from God because of your sin. And regardless of what Billy Crystal might have to say in The Princess Bride, no one's just a little bit dead. And no one's mostly dead. When we're dead, we're dead. Paul says you have been completely, we were completely cut off from God because of our sin. So what's God do? What's God's response? God's response to my sin is grace. Instead of giving me what I deserve, God offers me what Jesus earned. He offers grace through Jesus. In that same section of Ephesians 2, verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says that the grace that has been offered to us is incomparable. There's nothing that he can compare it to. There's no way that we can adequately describe the grace that's been given to us. It is bigger, it is better, it is more encompassing, more powerful, more life-changing, more wonderful than anything we could possibly wrap our minds around. That's why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's talking to a whole bunch of people, and he convinces them that it was their sin that put Jesus on the cross, and they're cut to the heart. That's what the Scripture says. They come to the conclusion, you're right, Peter. It's because of our sinfulness that Jesus died on the cross. And they ask him, what do we do? What do we do? And the answer that they would have expected Peter to give them would have been, put your tray table up, put your head between your knees and assume the crash position because it's all over. There's nothing you can do. You're all going to die. But of course, that's not what Peter told them. What Peter told them was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And you need to understand that is completely different than anything they had heard or anything they had expected. Yeah, they'd heard about repentance before. You know, they knew that John the Baptist had been baptizing, but they suggest that just believing in Jesus and trusting in Him in obedience could take care of their sins. That was a shock to the religious world. They were sure it was going to be, well, you're going to have to earn this, or you're going to have to prove that, you have to sacrifice this or pay that. Instead it was, you have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to put your faith in Jesus. What? That's crazy. No. That's grace. That's incomparable grace. And I'm thankful to God that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's offer to us is grace. Our response to God's offer is faith in Jesus Christ. Go back to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about saving faith. And saving faith isn't faith in myself. And saving faith isn't faith in some leader. And saving faith isn't faith in my church or, or even in a doctrine for that matter. It's faith in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. So what does that look like? Now, how does that play out? Let's go back to the question that I mentioned that at one time you asked or had people ask of you, how do I get to heaven? How can I be, how can I be, be sure about my, my salvation? Let me share with you a, a graph that many of you, most of you, will recognize pretty quickly. If you want to get to heaven, here's what you do. Here's why you do it. 
I have used a version of this graph many times. I have set and drawn out a version of this graph many times, talking to people about their salvation. Let me be sure that you hear what I'm about to say. I totally agree with everything in that graph. I absolutely agree. I can back it up with Scripture. You've got to hear the Word of Jesus. You've got to know the story. You've got to believe. You've got to have faith in Jesus. You've got to repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. Be baptized into Jesus. That process is biblical. I believe it to be accurate. However, when you put it on a graph like that, it kind of makes it look like the end game is baptism. And that's the top step. And that's kind of where it all ends. And while I would argue that that's correct on a timeline, I'm not sure that putting faith in Jesus and belief in Jesus at the bottom of the pyramid and leaving it there is actually an accurate representation of God's plan of salvation. I want you to hear me on that. Here's what I think the, the graph should look like. I think we've got to have faith in Jesus in the middle of everything. We've got to have faith in Jesus in the center. We've got to keep it in the center of everything because we're saved by grace through faith. Our faith is what causes us to respond in obedience. For instance, you think about repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is knowing that God's right and I'm not right. And because God's right and I'm not, I'm going to change my heart. And I'm going to change my, my life. And I'm going to turn away from my sinful nature and I'm going to follow Jesus. His example and His will. Faith brings repentance. I wouldn't repent if I didn't have faith in Jesus. Why would I? If I didn't have faith in Jesus, why would I change anything about the way I'm living? I'd go on being who I am and doing what I do. I wouldn't repent if I didn't have faith in Jesus. Without faith, you'll never confess. Repentance is a change of heart. Confession is a change of allegiance. Now, when we talk about confession, maybe your religious history causes you to think about confessing sin, but that's not what we're talking about here. Romans 10, Paul is talking about confessing Jesus as Lord about being very public about that, about stating publicly, I've got a new master, about telling your friends and your neighbors and your family and your co-workers, I belong to Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that fact. If I don't have faith, I won't confess Jesus as Lord. Now, that would be lying, right? It takes faith to confess Jesus as Lord. And also, there's no way I'll be baptized into Christ without faith in Jesus. Baptism is a change in purpose. Because when I'm baptized, my purpose in life changes. Look back at Romans chapter 6 again. Verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we too may live a new life. Paul's saying, don't you know? How can you lean on just one end of the teeter-totter here? How can we go on sinning that grace may increase? Don't you realize, don't you know that all of us who were, and what's he pointing back to? All of us who were 
baptized into Christ. He points back to baptism as the, 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 the time when we get to participate with Jesus in the death and the burial and the resurrection. He points back to baptism as a time when I'm, I'm raised to walk uh, a new life. Now, I, I've talked to people about baptism a lot. I have debated people about baptism. I have argued with people over baptism. Sometimes not very well and sometimes not very lovingly. But let me pose this question for us today. If you believe in Jesus Christ, do you trust Him enough to do what He said? It, it kind of comes down to that. If you believe in Jesus Christ, do you trust Him enough to do what He's asked you to do? Do you trust Him enough to repent of your sins? Do you trust Him enough to go public and say, He's the Lord of my life? Do you trust Him enough to be baptized? The word simply means immersed in water. Do I trust Him enough to do what He's told me over and over again in Scripture to do? Paul says that in baptism we're, we're buried to, to walk new life. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Understand, Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. And that faith is seen, that faith is expressed in repentance, in confession, in baptism. Important? Yes, it is. Necessary? Absolutely. That's why we don't baptize babies. Babies don't have faith in Jesus. Babies can't repent of their sins. Don't have sins for one thing, but they can't repent. They can't confess Jesus is Lord. Yeah, we could baptize them, but it'd, just, it'd be another bath. You know, if all it was about was, was getting people in the water, I could go up here on MLK with a big tank of water and a shotgun. Stop traffic. Get out, get in. We'd bring a lot of people to Jesus, right? You say, that's silly. It is silly. Because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is what prompts obedient responses. People have all sorts of opinions about salvation. People ask all kinds of questions about repentance and confession and baptism. What if this were to happen? What if that were to happen? All I know is I don't want to stand before God one day and say, I'm sorry, but I didn't trust you enough to do what you told me to do. Well, what would happen if a person never heard? But you have heard. What would happen if a person didn't have a chance to be baptized? But you have had lots of chances, including today. I always try to remind myself, there is a God, and it's not me. I'm not placed on this earth to judge anyone. But speaking for myself... I don't want to stand before God and say, you know, I read it. I understood it. I read the command. I saw the examples. But I just didn't trust you enough to do what you've asked me to do. I chose to, to rationalize my resistance. I chose to argue over nuances and the meaning of Greek words. Sorry, I just 
I didn't trust you enough to do what you told me to do so many times in your word. I don't want to stand before God and tell him that. So this morning, if you have faith in Jesus, if you believe him to be the Son of God, this lesson has been about a process that God's put in place because he loves us. Because he wants us back. Because he wants us home, part of the family. You've never repented of your sins. You've never confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, today's one more opportunity to do that. And we'd love to see that happen for you today. Or maybe there's something else going on in your life that you just really need to share with your family. If we can help you, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We invite you to come and let us know how. Let's dance and sing. Jesus.